Oh, Yahweh, this time again to be able to share your truth, your knowledge and wisdom as you give it to me, Father, that I can share with others, to anyone that hears the word but listens to the message. They might hear what is spoken and what you've given to me, but listening to the message, then going to your truth, your knowledge and wisdom that is found in the Bible, Father, in your written word that you gave to those writers, the men and women that wrote those books that you, through your spirit, you breathed into them. Father, thank you for that opportunity today for me to do your business, to do your bidding and to share your truth, Father. Abba Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Paraklitus Aman. So, it is, again, in the midst of God's watch. It's a great place to be, and I really, sometimes, quite honestly, the devil really wants to uh, work on getting me to just stay cozy under the blankets and, uh, you know, my service dogs, I, I have no problem with them sleeping in my bed. Some people have a problem with that, I don't. Um, my native heritage, the native peoples. And there is a band that some of you might remember. If you're my age or older, you'll know who I'm talking about. It was a group called Three Dog Night. And the story in an interview that I had read was that they took that name because it was an Indian that they were speaking to. They'd heard him, they overheard a conversation. And then they went to this man and asked him specifically what that term meant that he spoke. And he was talking about three dogs and a three dog night. Well, in native culture and many places, what they would do is the dogs would be brought into the teepee. And if it was a three dog night, then it was going to be very cold outside. And the three dogs would come in and they'd, they wanted to stay warm. So they would come close to their human and they would huddle together and stay warm. In a pack, if you know anything about animals uh, and dogs, they, they huddle together. And it's, uh, it's warm thing. So I usually have a two-dog night, and I don't mind it. I really don't. There's some people who say, oh, I can't have that happening on my bed. Well, that's unfortunate because you miss out. Miss out that bonding. Anyway. Let's kind of sidetracked. <laughs> but I'm up in the midst of God's watch, and I really like this, and the devil wants me to stay in that and have them come over and, you know, pay attention. But I don't belong there. I like it. It's comfortable. And God brought them and gifted them to me because he loves me, even when I wasn't choosing to walk with him. He brought them to me because he knew that I needed something. And I wasn't ready to come and tell him, Father, I need you. But he knew I did. Love you, Father. Thank you. So I'm in the midst of this, and 
So I got to get up. I got to leave that. I got to come over here to my study desk and, and pull material out. And I have to be about my father's business because this is what I am to do. I'm an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. I'm on a diplomatic visa that was signed by God. My credentials and my degrees are all sent by heaven sent university. The chancellor, vice chancellor, and guidance counselor all signed off in the documentation. And this is what I share with you quite often, that your validation and anyone out there in the world, and when I say you, I'm not meaning you specifically, so don't get your knickers all twisted up, okay? It's not you specifically. I can't even see you. And I don't truly know you except that I pray for you every day, over you every day. Am I going out? Am I coming in? And when I say that, it's a general term. You, meaning you out there, wherever you are, and just a generality. It's not you specifically. So don't go, don't go getting yourself all offended. But see, your validation doesn't matter to me. The validation that's important, and even if you are calling yourself a Christian, your validation still doesn't matter to me. Because... As long as the Holy Spirit is telling me that it's good, it's truthful, and is allowing it to continue, and as long as my Father God continues to tell me that I should do this thing, then I will. And even in the midst of all this new stuff that's coming about it, and I've been researching it and looking at things, that it's not going to be as troubling as I'm make, allowing it to make out to me. See, this is another attack by the devil, what the devil likes to do. And the thoughts that I had the other day when I first shared it was that, oh, it's going to be a mess. I just need to just delete it and start and find something else. Well, now, how silly would that be? Because then I would disrupt everything that I've shared already and that God has given to me to share. And then it would all be deleted and erased, which is exactly what he wanted me to do because the enemy is such a liar and a deceiver. So what I'm doing is praying about it, opening my hands up and not holding on to it and letting God do what he's gonna do. And if he takes me to a different direction, that's okay, because you know what? I have to believe that the detour is the road because the Holy Spirit is guiding that. Believe that the detour is the road and don't complain about going a different direction. It might be a little more bumpy, but at least the bridge isn't washed out. Remember, I've shared that illustration before. So the question that I have for y'all today or this morning, order out of disorder. How is it possible without God? Well, again, that's a rhetorical question. I already know the answer. Quite simply, it's not. Man and mammon love themselves so much that their belief is that they can write chaotic disarray and that they can fix and correct the agenda that isn't theirs to begin with. It doesn't, it's not their agenda. It doesn't belong to them, but they, they believe that they've got this thing figured out and that they're going to do it. And they'll be able to do it. 
And oh, those, mm, there are those that don't actually help to put it in order, but they just, um, they're just putting a facade or a false front. And that actually is a, a French and a Latin phrase. Faciata. It's the, in architecture, it's a really nice ornate front of a building and, and it faces on the main street and you see that, that that's called a facade. But what's more importantly is that I bring that up because it's a superficial appearance or an illusion of something. That something is not there and it's not there in truth. And I bring that up because I'm sharing about those that are not helping but they're merely putting that facade, that false front on it. And that's the self-help gurus. And especially those that are claiming to be Christians. And they're actually putting a band-aid on what is actually a gaping wound. Convincing others that they can correct the chaotic disarray and they control their destiny. Well... I question that because the reality of it is that what they're telling people or convincing them of is that we control our own destiny. That's truth only in part. That's only partial. So see, these individuals are bending truth so that the appearance is that they're being corrective and helpful. But they're not because they're not telling you the whole truth. And the whole truth is this, that without having a Christ-centered life, without the Holy Spirit guiding your steps, without faith in God, you have no control. It may appear temporarily, but the reality is this. Bottom line is this, plain and simple, nothing different. Your destiny is heaven or hell, life or death, live or perish. That's your soul. And we are told in the scriptures that we are in a spiritual warfare for our very soul. Satan wants you not to succeed and he wants you not to have your destiny. And if you believe that controlling is the big old houses and that you have you can actually correct this chaotic disarray that we live in and that you are able to control your destiny. And many of us actually get that so confused and just continue in misunderstanding and these self-help gurus are not helping that at all. They're just perpetuating it. They're just perpetuating the problem. that you think that the big house 
and the payments to match that big house or the many cars and the payments to match all the cars that you have in all the garages for this big house that you don't really own and all these documents that you've signed because if you stub your toe and you couldn't work anymore, they're going to come and take it all from you. And you have the uh, nice plush office in that cushy job that one would say they got. Oh, yeah, I got this great job, but I got this cushy job, man. It's so great. And you ought to see my office. I got, oh, it's, it's awesome. It's just, it's like uh, being in my own apartment. Refrigerator, have a little wet bar in there. It's great. And bragging about it. And that you think you got that on your own. And this really great company that is downsizing, but you didn't hear anything about it yet. And you don't keep that nice cushy job or office because it's not in your control. You just work there. And you thought this thing that you controlled, this destiny that you were controlling, you find out that you really don't because that company was downsizing and being eaten up by some other monopoly munching headhunter and just came and is eating up companies left and right and yours is one which included that nice office, which is going to be given to one of their executive positions. And they get to keep it. And they decided they didn't want you to come with it. It doesn't always happen that way. But a lot of times it does because these people think that they did all this stuff on their own. And then they don't know what to do about it. They fall apart. They completely lose it. And the truth is that destiny is not here in this plane of existence. It's either eternity with those that you love and those that love you or in hell. And again, Satan doesn't want you to have the destiny of truth and love and eternal life with your heavenly father who is a creator of all things made and holds things together simply by his will and his power, all things consist. The scripture reminds us of that. By him, all things consist. But see, Satan doesn't want you that to have that. Why? Again, I'll remind you. He used to live in heaven. But he got kicked out because of his arrogance and he wanted to be his God and he felt that he could co-own or co lead and that wasn't true and then angels that followed they left and there his demons which are very real by the way are very powerful and he doesn't want you to have a destiny in heaven and that's the only thing you can choose you can either choose truth in a Christ-centered life, 
have faith in God, being guided by the Holy Spirit, or you cannot. And that is the only control that you have is to choose, yea or nay. And that's because God made us with a free will choice. And you find that, and it's expressed in John 3, 16 through 22. And it's explained everything in there. And yet you have these perverts, perverts, pardon me, how, where did that come from? Perverts. Perversion and perverts that tell you otherwise. And remember that word perversion's got nothing to do with sexual it has it means to bend or manipulate from its original shape or design and discolor taint what however it, but it's not being done um the way it was intended and this individual that I heard talking about John three sixteen is being taught wrong and and he's going to get in and rewrite the book of John because it's being taught wrong and it's being taught that that God is is uh, blackmailing us and is controlling us in order to believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Well, I don't know where this guy, what Bible he was reading or what scripture he was reading, but it says uh, in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son in that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And... That means that there's no particular ethnicity, no particular uh, coloration, no particular country, no particular part of the East, uh, Eastern Hemisphere, Western Hemisphere, Northern, Southern, it doesn't matter. It said whosoever. So anybody that decides that they want to believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the choice and the destiny you can make, yay or nay. And if it's yay, then you go to hell and you just, you, you're not going to make it. And you keep turning your back and shaking your fists and just walking away and keep saying, and just deny it. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All you have to do is say, well, I, I don't want this stuff. God's not forcing you to do anything. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So, if we go to John 1, 1, there's a description there. John's talking about Jesus being there and that, and that Jesus comes as the light, but that John is not the light. He's just talking about the light. And he's talking about Christ Jesus and that our evil deeds are reproved. They're shown out so people can see him. 
if you stay on, if you stay dishonest and you keep doing these things and, and all this uh, nasty business, it's going to be shown out to be what you really are. You might just think that you're covering up for a time. But it comes to, as I say, it comes to light. And we find that truth in John three sixteen through 22. Good thing to read. This chaotic flux is not new. And it was very much present in and around the early churches and the surrounding towns and different cultures, the Greeks, the Romans, the Syrians. This is all made, uh, it was all made easier for that flux and that chaos to come to bear because of all the the roads. The Roman Empire was very powerful at the time and they were building highways and, and there was an old saying that all roads lead to Rome. You know, that was the big thing, the trade and all that was for the longest time and, and that they were making these great highways and highways and byways and they all led to Rome and they led to all parts of the world. This also made it easier for that chaos and that flux to be around the church, the early churches, because it all came from everywhere. And the issues then are identical to what's going on in the churches in this world today. And you yet you have these perverts that say that they need to rewrite the word. They need to rewrite the Bible. It needs to be more relevant. It needs to be up to date. And then it, I wonder in my mind, what Bible are they reading? Because if they read the Bible and they read the Bible in rule of faith, rule of faith, and they read it from the back cover to the front cover, front cover to the back cover, and they went and they studied the Bible, they would see that everything that is going on in and around the world today and in the churches is the same thing that was going on then. Only different because you have different technology, but it's the same thing. Wars and rumors of wars. You had the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Romans, the Greeks, and the Chaldeans. You had all this was going on. Yeah, the Amalekites. And we I just shared with you the other day about David talking to God. He inquired as he was in. He They were going to stone David. He was with his men and everything in the field. And they came back and found that the Amalekites had come in while they were gone. And... Uh, took wives, children, belongings. And so they were going to stone David because somehow that was his fault. But he went with them and he, before he left, he said, God, should I go and pursue them? And God said, yes, you go. And all that was taken would be recovered and you shall come to no harm because I'm going with you. David chased him down. He took off with 600 men, which was already vastly outnumbered by the Amalekites. And they actually left 200 of the men at Bishor because they just couldn't go anymore. They hadn't eaten. They hadn't had anything to do. They were just wore out and they couldn't go. And they just told him, said, David, we can't go. 
So he continued, and they came upon the, the uh, Egyptian that was left, and he was left behind because uh, the household that he worked for left him back because he'd become sick. And David said, look, you take us and show us where they are or where they're supposed to be. And he said, I'll take you, but you can't tell him that I brought you because he'll surely kill me. And I'll agree with you if you swear an oath unto your Lord God that, that you won't let that happen. David told him, he said, I'm not gonna let that happen. Here, let's feed you. Let's get you some nourishment and let's go. And they went. And when they got to the hillside overlooking the encampment, they were everywhere. The army of the Amalekites that came and made the raid, they were, it was huge. They filled up a whole valley. Well, David and his 400 men went in. And in the evening of that first day, they began fighting and slaughtering. I mean, they were in a war, they were fighting. And from evening of that first day until sunsetting and evening of the next day, 24 hour period, they slew the Amalekites. And then you had the only ones that got out of there were the ones that jumped on the camels and the horses and they took off and left everything behind. They didn't want to stay because they saw their army was being destroyed by 400 men that David brought with him and the power and authority of the Lord God Almighty that says, yes, you go because you're going to get everything back because I'm going with you and it's going to happen because I'm telling you it's going to happen. And they brought back wives, sons, daughters, and all the possessions that this enemy had taken from Judah and they brought it back. And everyone rejoiced that David returned everything and didn't lose one of his men other than the ones that were left behind at Bishore. Brothers and sisters, we have to turn to God. We have to put our faith in God, trust that Christ is centered in our lives and make sure that that stays done and have faith that the Holy Spirit is walking and guiding us and that the detour that we are given is indeed the road we are intended to travel. And don't fuss and argue with God when he takes you a different direction than you want to go. Father Knows Best used to be an old TV show. But you have these issues that are going on within the church that are happening today that were happening then. You, have, you had language barriers. You had cultural differences. Um, everything was done. And you had religious differences because they came from one uh, culture and they were traveling on the road and they were coming to settle down and they were looking possibly for a church and they came and, but their religious beliefs and their tendencies were different. All that happens today. The same thing that was happening 2000 years ago. The only difference is that the era has changed and technology has changed. That's it. Otherwise it's the same. So what's irrelevant to what's going on today than back then. It's not, but the perverts want you to get and believe that. Truth 
is in the word of God. And they're trying to pervert that and say that it needs to be rewritten so that it's more relevant. And again, I say, what Bible are they reading that they don't see the relevance? Paul wrote to the churches in Colossae, Corinth, Rome, Ephesus, because the difficulties that they were having that are very similar, if not identical, to what's going on in the churches today. He was reminding them that he was praying for them, exhorting them, and in some cases, he had to admonish them. He had to put them in their place. And today, uh, today or yesterday, I'm sorry, yesterday I was, uh, I was working at our church because we had this uh, really fantastical thing going on. It's called World Mandate, which has to do with God's mandate that we go and share the word and show his love around the world or wherever we can. Doesn't have to be around the world. Doesn't have to be, it doesn't even have to be to a foreign country to be here as long as we're doing that thing that he tells us to do. But what was really awesome was that they were sharing about this, that, you know, if you can't go to one of their missions and do it in the field, you can do it here at one of our churches because it's a, the Antioch Foundation. And, and just as a reminder to share with you is that, and it's very cool because um, the the uh, pastor's wife was sharing that they actually have a group that is going to help rebuild and they're going to Antioch, the original, first Antioch. And for those of you who don't know, biblically, historically, is that Antioch was the first missionary church in existence. And that Paul and Barnabas and, and the others, they, they left out from Antioch, and they went and seated other churches and, and helped start churches. And this is what Paul was doing as he was writing to these churches to exhort them and, and lift them up and, and have them in prayer. But um, if we go to 1 Corinthians, actually, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. I have it marked. Bear with me. Here I'm going. I'm, I, I am, I am, I am. We're going to 1 Corinthians and we're going to um, first chapter 10 and 11, first thing. And Paul writes to him, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Well, he writes this because they were having a problem. And I, I share that also because the uh, pastor and his wife were sharing that with us that we're speaking today. And I got to, beside doing the work there, I got to take part in some of the sessions we were going. And they, they, we had church all day long. Oh, it was great. I mean, packed house all day long. So, um, but they were sharing that this is the thing that goes on. That we have to be like-minded. And it requires unity. And one of the things that they were talking about was um, chaos, which is only part of why I shared that. Um, but the chaos uh, is something that he looked, and it didn't 
I didn't think of that or hadn't thought of that before. And he brought it up and I, I hope I can get a uh, transcript of the message. But chaos brings up questions. Yeah, it seems to be unsettling at times. It could be, but it also brings up questions and things that come to light that, that may need correction. And that despite on the surface that it could be very unsettling and unnerving and, and appear to be a really bad thing, and it, it does many times. But the thing of it is, in, in the midst of this turmoil and things that are going, remember Elisha was on the face of the mountain, what would he do? God told me to go out on the mountain. And there was thundering, lightnings, earthquakes, windstorm, rainstorms, all this stuff was going on. And then there were rocks rolling down the mountains and, and he couldn't hear God talk to him. And then he got out of that chaotic atmosphere and he went back in to the cave where he was hiding and he heard the still small voice. So in the midst of all that, God was still with him. Just have to learn to listen to him. But anyway, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he wrote to them because they were having some problems. And they were having issues and problems with not being like-minded. And so he has, he admonishes them because they were taking, taking sides. There was disunity instead of unity. In 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 27, it's important. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the good news. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. That means that if Paul was just going in and he was blah, 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 and it wasn't anything to do with the truth, the knowledge and wisdom that God gave and graced him with, that it was just empty words and it would mean nothing. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto which are saved it is the power of God. So you have to understand that you have those that want to say that it's, ah, where's God? What's that mean? Ah, what you're saying is all empty. And they do that today. Do they not do that same thing today? Yeah, where's God? I haven't seen God. I haven't seen your God answer anything because they're not listening and they're not looking. But God is real and God is there. And God is truth. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And we see this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not into your own understanding. And so many people that think that they're so smart and they're so intelligent that they don't need to be taught anything. They don't need to be shown the gospel. They don't need that to be given to them. And then in verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Look around and see where are they? What are they doing? Are they really fixing anything? No, they just 
make it look that way and that they're really doing things. I look around and I'm telling you what, all these individuals that are claiming all this stuff and claiming to be so wise and smart, brothers and sisters, I just don't see it. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. The world by its wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the footstep, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So they they claim that coming and preaching and sharing the gospel and, and the missions and all that is all foolishness. But there are those that want to believe. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. The, was, the Greeks in that day were the intellectuals. They were the scholarly types. The Romans were the fighters, the battlers, and gladiators. But we preach Christ crucified unto Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. So in their wisdom, they thought that what they were, what Paul was preaching and teaching and sharing and the gospel was ridiculous and foolish. And for the Jews, it was just something that got in their way and it was a stumbling block and they couldn't understand it. They were trying to always talk about it. Look what they did with Christ. We see example that every single time that Jesus was doing something good and, and he was teaching or healed something, they, they took him before the Sanhedrin and off they went. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wow. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Basically, it's a re-emphasis of God is not a respecter of any man or woman. He doesn't care what you have. He doesn't care what you have not. God goes for the character of your heart. Doesn't matter how powerful you think you are, how smart you think you are. None of that matters. The only thing that matters to God is a character of your heart. Just like with David, the character of his heart, which is what mattered to God. And that's all that matters with us, brothers and sisters. God isn't waiting for you to become holy so that he can come in and save you. Christ Jesus came and died on the cross to sanctify us and make us holy. And that is the truth. Paul was admonishing them for taking sides in the rumor mongering and that disunity instead of being together. And he admonished also the church at Galatia because they had turned away they had fallen into that, uh, what's going on in churches and things that go on today. They call it the apostasy, the great walking away. And it's happening. It was happening in the church in Galatia. They were walking away and we can find, actually, pardon me. 
I hate it when hiccups sneak up on me. I just come up there and they've got no business bothering me, but they do. Sorry about that. Um, so if we go to the book of Galatians, and we're going to go to Galatians' first chapter. And I'm going to share with you Galatians 1, 7 through 11. Paul is admonishing them because of the perverting of the gospel and the word. And remember what that word, I told you the word gospel, it means good news. Is That's all that word means. It doesn't mean a particular part of the Bible. And yet you have man and mammon that have decided that they choose to say that the gospel means everything about Jesus, which is good news. It's powerful, but the Bible in its entirety is gospel. It's the, it's the good news of God, our Heavenly Father, and the gospel and good news of Christ Jesus, who also brings and introduces us all further to the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. If you read according to the rule of faith and follow a good epidemic, you can go to the book, you'll find the Holy Spirit is in Genesis 1.1. You find it throughout the Old Testament is that the Spirit is present. And Jesus was present and is present still. And with us still. Galatians 1, 7 through 11. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Remember that word, it has nothing, no sexual connotation. It just means that they bend it to be and distort it from being what it was intended to be. They twist it from being the good news and make it something not. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. If they're coming and trying to get you to believe anything but the truth, as we said before, so say I now again. If any man preaching any other gospel unto you than that we that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Paul's just reminding me, he said, this, this isn't worldly and I'm not teaching you something of the world. I'm telling you because this came because Christ Jesus came. It's the good news of Christ Jesus and the word of God. And this is exactly what's taking place today. The good news and the gospel that was intended is being perverted and those perverts know just enough of the gospel and just enough of scripture to draw in the unsuspecting. I've shared this already. They're not speaking the truth. They'll only speak one or two. And they take the scriptures totally out of context. They'll only speak one verse and then they don't remind anybody to follow contextually and go into the rest of the body of the word. Christ Jesus himself warned us of the deceivers and liars that would come 
to deceive and to lie to us, and that the truths that he shared then, 2,000 years ago, when this Bible, this gospel of God and Christ Jesus was put together. And it's true and as real today as it was then. I mean, I'm just sharing some examples. It was happening to the church then. So the question that I have is, how is that irrelevant? And also when Christ was warning us of these things that were going to take place, he didn't say that it's going to, oh, oh, by the way, these liars and deceivers are going to come at the next Shabbat. Or they're going to come in a month after. He didn't tell you. He just said that they're going to come and they're going to do it. He warned us to be wary and be aware that it's going to happen. And we can go into uh, Matthew. Here we're going to go. I got it marked. And we go to Matthew 7 and verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ah, and you're, wait a minute. I don't get that. Sheep don't dress? Well, yeah. What he's telling us, and and this is an old saying that actually, when I was a kid, I remember this. It just means a deceiver. They're trying to appear to be something that they're not. So they're appearing to be a, a sheep, but they have on wool and they're looking like a sheep, but something's wrong because they don't act like a sheep. They're acting like a wolf. Now, how is that possible? Because they're in disguise. They're disguising themselves to be preachers and pastors and elders of a church, but they have no intention in sharing the truth in the gospel. Instead, what they are doing is they're vaunting themselves to be of a higher authority and a higher plane of existence than anybody else because they know things that nobody else knows. Well, that's all a lie. They're just trying to get you to believe that. But Christ warns us of these people. And if we read in 7, 21 through 23, Jesus tells us too. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of the Father, of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me that on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful things? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Remember that word iniquity? That means purposeful wickedness and deception. These individuals are telling Jesus they were doing it all in his name. But in reality, what they're doing is they're trying to get us to believe that they're doing it in Jesus' name but they're liars and deceivers. I shared with you before, and I'm not going to go in detail now. I didn't then, and I'm not going to do it now. Is that um, you have, we have this church that I went to, 
and it was really good. Um, they were, it was interesting because the uh, father and son that were, they were tag teaming the congregation, I noticed, and they had um, one, two, three, four, five, five scriptures, not from the same book. They were all from different books, but they were five separate scriptures from five different writers and all pertaining to the same thing, but they weren't, they weren't contextually cognizant. They weren't tied together. And what they were doing is, uh, and paying attention to this, and the, and the second time that I went, and I didn't, and where I erred was that I didn't ask for the, uh, I didn't try the spirit of the church. I was going because during that time, everything was getting shut down and closed down, and the church that I was attending, that I wanted to become a member to, had shut down everything because nobody wanted to go. It was all the, all this foolishness and lie pandering and mongering, all that stuff that was going on. So I wanted to go and I wanted to fellowship and I wanted to be someplace where I could worship God. And this church was allowing that to take place um, and they were making it possible to do. They weren't violating anything. They were just making it possible that you could come and worship God the way we should have. But what I learned was that they were also very deceptive and that the um, they were preaching these scriptures. And then the second time I tried the spirit, I said, Holy Spirit, if this is where I'm meant to be and they're teaching truth and then and they're speaking truth, then, then it's here that I need to be and important and make it known to me. Well, instead, what he made known to me was that they were liars and deceivers and that they were stealing from the people and that they were intending to do so and that they were behaving with iniquity, just like what Jesus warned us of. And they were tying these together so that they could get money from the people and get people basically convincing people that they should invest in them. Wow. And uh, what I noticed was that uh, I paid attention to these things, which I do. People think I don't pay attention to a lot of things. I pay attention to most everything. So the pastor had a chauffeur-driven car. He had an entourage of private security. And um, that's some pretty fancy automobiles and clothing. And uh, actually was assaulted by the private security in the foyer of the church physically assaulted, which by, if it had gone, if it had gone into court, it could have actually been an assault. And I noticed when I looked around, I paid attention that the uniform officers all turned their backs toward what was going on. And these thugs that he had came up and were trying to, had actually put physically accosted me and were trying to muscle me in. But I felt really empowered because I wasn't intimidated. Instead, I just asked him, I said, really? You're gonna do this in God's house? You're gonna do this in front of God? 
and do this in God's house. Oh, you just got to go now. You got to la, 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 la. And I'll say, I just had a question. I just wanted to ask the pastor something. <laughs> just ask a question. And uh, so I said, well, that's okay, because the Holy Spirit told me I need to leave. And I did. Nothing came of it. They didn't, uh, they didn't finish their assaulted behavior and didn't do all that, but it became very apparent to me. And the Holy Spirit allowed that to take place because I stubbornly didn't do it the first time, which I should have. And the Holy Spirit just simply asked me, do you hear me now? Yes, I do hear you now, Father. And it wasn't a bad thing. He was just showing me that I should have been doing and I didn't do. And now I'm paying attention. So we just need to pay attention and the, the Holy Spirit and God will speak to us and direct us. And we need to be aware that these wolf and sheep's clothing will look to deceive us. And that, and we can find this in John 10.10. 10. Actually, Jesus warns us of this very thing. Oh, pardon me. I, I went out of there too soon. But in John 10, verse 10, Christ Jesus tells us this thing. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. That, brothers and sisters, is it in a nutshell. These individuals have come to claim to be one thing. And Christ Jesus is not talking about the leaf come. He's not, they're not going to come down and kill you. And all. it's a, it's a spiritual and robbing. And I've heard people use this term for, oh, I the, the devil just robbed me of my joy. I have no joy today, so I didn't go to church today. You know, when I when I saw a person and I asked them why they weren't there the previous Sunday. Oh, I just felt my joy had been robbed and I just didn't feel like getting out and going to church. So I just stayed home. And they didn't go to Bible study and they didn't go to prayer meeting and they didn't do and they didn't do and they didn't do because they had just, they gave it up. They allowed the thief to come in and take what they should have been holding on to. And he looks to destroy any unity that you have with God or any relationship that we have with God. He's trying hard to do that with me. But you know what? God is my father. I am an ambassador. And my diplomatic unity immunity gives me certain privilege. <laughs> But I am a diplomat, an ambassador in the kingdom of heaven. And this is why I am so adamant about the word of God. 
because I want everyone to have an opportunity to come and be an heir and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. This is what God offers every single one of us. If you believe, you have faith in him and follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you are an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Satan doesn't want you to have that. He wants to rob that of, from you. He wants to destroy that aspect in your, in your thought, in your mind's eye. He doesn't want you to have that and think about that. That's your destiny. Not that other garbage that I was sharing with you before about how the people in this world and the self-help gurus and the destiny of the, of the big plush job, the big plush office, and the big house and, and all these things, things, things that are all here and about here. Destiny is about, are you going to live with your loved ones and those that love you? Are you going to be with Christ Jesus, our King and in heaven and see that there, you're gonna see that triune spirit of God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, you're gonna be aware of it because it's gonna be there with us all the time. And we are going to be in, in, in all things made new by God's power and authority. Oh my goodness gracious. That's powerful. And that's what we have to look forward to and not this that the thieves are coming to rob, still kill and destroy. So now we're gonna jump over here. I was gonna share with you. In 1 John 1, Two fourteen. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. John, in his letter, is exhorting to the young men. It happens sometimes in a church that that uh, elders will get kind of haughty and young men don't think that they should be speaking and they try, they kind of hold back. But John is exhorting them and saying, no, 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 no. You've overcome the enemy. You are showing that you have desire and want in the word of God and that you want to be in truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. You're in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in every day? Be strong. Be bold. Be courageous in your righteousness. And stand up for the truth.